All right. All of you wonderful, good citizens of Crypt Nation that are tuning back into another kick butt episode here of the Crypto 101 podcast. I am Bryce, your host, and I am hosted as well, co-hosted as well with uh, my buddy, Mr. Pizza Mind. How you doing over there, Pete's? Uh, well, I am back from Las Vegas after a week. It was definitely the worst Vegas trip I've ever had. And that's saying something. <laughs> now it is time to lock back down, quarantine, make sure the doors are shut, the windows are shut, the lights are off. I'm under the blankets in a pillow fort. Uh, Going to stay safe through the summer and try and get through uh, all this craziness. <laughs> So, so Pete, what what is what is Vegas like? I mean, you you uh, you went during a lockdown. What is it like now? I mean, well, can't even imagine. We've been talking about truly a desert. U.S. dollar getting debased and losing purchasing power. So, how's this for an example? A double cheeseburger at a cafe in Caesar's Palace was going for twenty eight dollars. Oh my lord! Bottle of water, four bucks. The resort fee for Caesars was $51 a night. Mind you, this covers all the costs for amenities, but there were no amenities. There was no bellhop, no valet, no spa, no room service, housekeeping only available on request. And still got charged for the amenities. That's right. That's Couldn't even bullshit. go to the gym, too scared to go out to the pools. Um, yeah, I will not be going back to Vegas anytime <laughs> soon. Well, that is definitely some some good insight, and we're about to get some good insight today from over the pond uh, from our buddy Pavel Baines from Bluezell, right? The CEO and founder of Bluezell, which is a really really cool crypto company, uh, and he's over in Singapore. So, Pavel, welcome to the Crypto One Hundred and One Podcast. Hey, fellas! Thanks for having me here. Um, thanks for sharing that Vegas story. I mean, that's a separate podcast on its own for a full hour. <laughs> I could never tell my Vegas stories on a podcast. We would go out of business. <laughs> I think, oh, I think one of a billion there, right? <laughs> Pavel, we were, uh, you know, briefly before we even dive into the crypto stuff or who you uh, are as, you know, a person and an entrepreneur, we, uh, we were just briefly speaking before the recording about how you're viewing, you know, this, how the Singaporean government is, you know, handling the lockdown and the quarantine and stuff. And how it's just so vastly different than the United States, but it it's hard to even compare it because it's not apples to oranges. So r kind of run us all through that before we dive into the crypto stuff. Like this is pretty relevant to, I think anybody who's listening right now, relevant to their lives. Yeah, I think it's, it's a bit um, like we're discussing. It's comparing apples to oranges when they say, what's the U S doing compared to a Singapore and other countries are smaller. And they got to keep in mind that Singapore is a city state. So it's about 5 million people. You know, it's always been independent. It's got its own currency. I mean, I'm from Vancouver originally. And I mean, Singapore geographically wise is probably less than the distance. I mean, space wise, less than the size of Vancouver. And probably like, yeah, probably half or a quarter of the size of Vancouver, but with like four times the population. Wow. So and then you've got a government that is basically everybody works together and everything's coordinated. So it's much easier to manage in terms of saying that, hey, okay, we're going to go into lockdown. We're going to do it through these phases. Um, everybody kind of believes the government understood it, trusts it. And so everybody kind of goes along with it because it is kind of a smaller thing. It's, it's something that I've said before that cities actually need more power around the world because that's where all the 
you know, all the development and creativity is, it's hard to govern from a big, wide, you know, geographic area. Really fascinating. Yeah, it's definitely a side of the story that I just haven't heard much, you know, not speaking to many people over uh, at Singapore. So I'm glad that you got to share that with us today. Um, and tell us a little bit about, um, you know, first off, who you are, what you were doing before you got into crypto, uh, and now what you're building over at Bluezell. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, so, yeah, my background, you know, I used to run track and field, former athlete, went to UCLA. And then after that, uh, you know, I was in Vancouver and big was video games and digital media. So I got into that space and used to work for companies. I do projects with Microsoft, Nintendo, Electronic Arts, Activision, name them, Um, you know, ran some studios for Disney and then also some independent studios where we work with some of the bigger projects out there, uh, mainly like multiplayer games. So that was really my background, Uh, very heavy in content and media. Uh, did a kids book publishing platform uh, when I had young kids and, you know, we did stuff with, you know, Superman, Peanuts, Snoopy, on and on. Um, So that was a really exciting space. And then uh, I think uh, what you're saying was, I guess, uh, how did I all of a sudden switch over to the crypto side? So, yeah. (laughs) yeah. So uh, as we were talking earlier, you know, you know, when you go to school, you take a bunch of topics. So I was really interested always in also political science, finance. And so, after coming out of media and making video games, I was like, okay, I want to do something different. You know, just like others discovered Bitcoin, Bitcoin, you start reading more about blockchain and you go down that rabbit hole. And just the initial concepts of, I mean, obviously the, you know, anti-inflationary, all that stuff was big, but also this concept of, Hey, the bank, I don't really own my money at my bank. Like they have it. They restrict how much money I can take out each day. They also restrict not being open on weekends. So I don't even have 24-7 access to my money. And then you'd start diving into those things of banking and then credit cards. How do those work? Really, it's not Visa's not making all that money all that time because I pay my bill every month. So how are they getting any interest? But you find out that, hey, actually, most of the charge, the interchange fee actually goes to the banks. And whatnot. so you go down that rabbit hole and it's just super fascinating. And then with Bitcoin and blockchain, it combined like, you know, finance, bit of kind of like political science type of things, futurism, technology, and it was all just in one kind of industry, which is super fascinating to me. That is really interesting. So what is Bluezell and how is it different from other blockchains? So Bluezell is a decentralized database. It's a delegated proof of stake network. And what we found was how it came about was initially when we started a couple of years ago, we are doing projects for banks and insurers and trying to do the whole thing of enterprise blockchain and, you know, try to bring that in and saying, Hey, this is where the space is. This is where it's going. And while we're doing some of those projects, uh, we realized that, okay, we would do, for example, we did a identity management system for three banks in Singapore. Great. Used, you know, Ethereum, but then all the data and certain parts of it, we had to actually store in a centralized database. Then we had done another one for insurance, uh, travel insurance for one of the bigger insurance companies in Asia. And that one, same thing. Wait, part of this information and what's happening, we've got to store in a centralized database. And we realize that you're not getting a full decentralized stack. It's only partial. And then, you know, you start thinking about at that time, everybody's trying to figure out the decentralized web and all the components. And we've realized that our own problem could have been solved if we had a decentralized database behind it. And that's where we kind of, that's where it came from. And we dug in more and said, okay, that's, we want to complete the entire decentralized stack. And that's how we basically came together and said, this is the pit play. This is the area we're going to play in. 
Interesting. So, so when I think of blockchains generally, I, you know, kind of analogize them with a decentralized database. Like, you know, a lot of people say that about Bitcoin. It's a decentralized database, which holds ledger information um, and stuff like that. So is it maybe the the design that makes it the design of Bluezell makes it more you know just as secure as Bitcoin? Like first off, is you know is it just as secure as Bitcoin and you know that kind of thing? And is it just faster or is it optimized specially to do a certain purpose that you know maybe Bitcoin or Ethereum cannot? Yeah, so it's a different use case. So when it comes to ledger transactions, you know, blockchains are great for that. Just quick information, things like that. But if you're Throwing real data, let's say if you're building a financial product and you need to store user information, or you're building a game and you have like profile sessions, inventory management, you can't really put that on the blockchain because one, it would be very slow and for all that hard you know, data behind it, and it'd be very expensive. I mean, look at the gas prices of Ethereum now. Right. So what we said was if we build a decentralized network database, decentralized database with nodes that strictly are for storing data, we get that security, that 100% uptime of availability is there. And you get and you can store large amounts of data at a, you know, or even saying at less than half the price of centralized databases. So it's a different use case. So ledger transactions, definitely those things that Ethereum is great at, Bitcoin and the other blockchains, you keep doing that. But the hard data, like when you're building an application, and you know, let's say you're using an app, whether it's Basecamp, MailChimp, Facebook, all that data has to sit somewhere behind it. And that's what you put on us. Interesting. So it's almost like Bluezell would be a direct competitor uh, to any of those data centers that we would see, you know, that are maybe owned by Amazon web servers, right? Or, you know, we drive past the freeway and we know that there's a big data center over there and those are centralized and owned by certain companies, right? So you're saying, you know, if a, if a group of people all came together to, uh, contribute their computing power to storing um, and serving files to anybody who calls it, then you'll compensate them or or somebody will be compensating them in Bluezell tokens, right? That's right. So think of it as Airbnb. We've just discovered that, hey, there's a lot of people out there with a lot of computer space on, on their laptops, devices, Xboxes that are sometimes most of the time not used, right? Because everything's really run on the cloud. So what we're saying is, Hey, just like you have an extra room in your apartment, uh, you got extra space on your computer, give that to us, we'll manage it, and we'll have somebody rent it out. So the more space that you give, uh, the more tokens you get compensated by, I, I suppose, right? Because kind of in Bitcoin, it's like, it's different. It's like the more processing that you can show or prove that you did on the network by solving proof of work puzzles, right? The more processing that you contribute to securing the network, the better odds you're going to get paid for doing that work or whatever. So in your case, it's not processing, but it's storage and, and suppliers of that storage are being paid proportional to how much they're putting up is that kind of how the algorithm works out no not entirely because uh you've got some constraints so it's you offer the space and let's say we have we have a minimum amount you have that but it's how much the network is actually using at that time because let's say you guys are running your podcast you got your mailchimp you know your email information users all that you're storing it what we're doing is instead of storing it in one area let's say, I'm just going to make up numbers, say 100 gigabytes, right? What we're saying is we're going to take that and replicate it to like 10 different nodes. So what happens is that 
If one of those goes down, it doesn't matter. There's nine others also up. And depending on the geography where they are, how fast they get to you. Now, the big difference there is when you use, let's say, a person's building a tech product or an application, and they're using Amazon's database, DynamoDB or MongoDB, they charge for, it might seem cheap when you first sign up, but when you have replication and you want availability of more regions, more backups, I want this available all the time, the costs actually get up because that's what they're charging for. Because we're decentralized and everything's in sync, we don't have that replication cost. So that's what brings the cost down and gives that benefit of you will be replicated in multiple places and be available. I see. So why did you guys decide to build this on the Cosmos network of all things? We've been hearing that name pop up more and more frequently, and we're trying to get a better understanding of just what advantages there are to building on Cosmos as opposed to something like Ethereum. Yeah, so the big thing was that we're going to be, as, as I said, it's a decentralized database purely, and you need a consensus engine, right? A BFT engine, Byzantine Fault Tolerance engine, to make sure everybody's in sync. So you got the database, but it's also powered by, you know, like a blockchain. And just to clarify real quick, that consensus he's talking about is, you know, everybody agreeing on the state of things. That's right. So when somebody changes, makes change in the database, everybody's got to agree that was a rightful owner. It's correct. Go on. So we're building our own consensus and then we're starting to, we're making progress, but we're coming to some problems. Like, you know, you, you're eight steps there. You're almost at, at step 10. All of a sudden, something hits you, you go back to seven. And it was a constant cycle. Yeah. And what we realized was, you know what? We're really good at the database part. We're defining applications, what we want to do. Why are we spending so much energy on the consensus engine? And at that time, Tendermint, Cosmos had come out, proven itself. And we're like, you know what? That would actually solve a bunch of our problems. And if we can have, we can build our own blockchain powered by Cosmos Tendermint. Our database sits on top. That then uh, that basically solved a big problem for us. It was just more efficient and already out there working. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and I guess, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, go for I, it. Sorry, I think then the other one you guys asked was, oh, yeah, what are some of the benefits? So that was one of them. Uh, the other one was because if people are familiar with Cosmos Tendermint, they're, you know, interoperability blockchain, and they're creating a protocol, IBC interblockchain communication protocol, which would allow all blockchains to easily talk to each other. So there'd be like one highway, we're all connected and we could seamlessly communicate. So our belief was that if more people join that up and are going and IBC becomes a thing and we're already connected, then anybody on any other blockchain could easily use us as a database. So it's really about distribution and hitting a wider net. Today's show is brought to you by our new sponsor, Cog Network. Cog Network, geared for gain. Cog Network is hedge fund investing evolved. By owning Cog Network tokens, you get exposure to the hedge fund's gains. The hedge fund is comprised of algorithmically traded commodity futures and investment in hard assets related to energy. The first hard asset is partial ownership of a multi-million dollar solar farm that has a crypto mining operation attached. I mean, this is really something that both traditional and crypto investors can come together and participate in. So for traditional investors, they can get exposure to cutting-edge blockchain technology in a framework that they're familiar with, a hedge fund, right? And crypto investors can get exposure to an actual security that bears dividends and includes non-crypto assets. So that's super cool. And just for full disclosure, Cognetwork is a fully registered and regulated entity qualified by the SEC 
is a Reg D as well as a Reg S and has a 506C exemption. They've been working with lawmakers since 2017 to get this idea built out in a fully compliant way. Crypt Nation, if you guys are interested in learning more about a tokenized hedge fund, go visit www.cog.network. Very cool. Uh, makes a lot of sense. What what kind of like, um, you know, kind of stepping outside of BlueZell, um, what are some of the other kind of applications or use cases uh, that get you excited? Just to kind of paint a picture for everybody listening about this this new future that's coming out. Oh, on a, on a high level, everything? Yeah. Yeah, it would. I think, I mean, just it's different in the sense that, you know, when we all got into it, I'm sure you guys are. There was a ton of use cases that we thought blockchain would be great for, right? And <laughs> right. everybody. A white paper for everything. Yeah. And I mean, not, not, uh, I mean, despite all, everybody just kind of put a white paper, but I think every, a lot of people, most of them had really good ideas that it could be used, like from, you know, um, let's say music royalties, you know, supply chain, um, you know, climate change, earth credits, things like that. Like there was, there's a right. wide variety and I think it really can and still believe it, but I just think, uh, the adoption or a reality of how much, how early the tech is, was just really nascent into what it can do. It'd be like early nineties, everybody already building the next Amazon, you know, Facebook, you know, all these crazy ideas, like, but really we need an email first to take off. So <laughs> stepping back from there, I think for the next foreseeable future, I think the big thing probably you guys is the first use case is still the best use case. It's finance, right? Um, this alternative financial system, you know, the ways we can have access to money, even the simple thing to this day, I mean, you guys probably know it, the act of just sending somebody money and it just takes seconds still is amazing to me. And I think that is still the use case. And given what you touched on earlier about US dollar debasement, uh, the macro environment, for the next foreseeable future, we can see that people are starting to look at that, hey, where am I going to put my money? Banks are at 0%, could go to negative interest yields, bonds. Well, the only place to really grow and have a bit more control and faith is this digital asset cryptocurrency world. So at the high level, I think finance is still really the bit the most exciting stuff. Yeah, I definitely. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I agree. Um, and I think we're going to see potentially news uh, make its way onto blockchain so we can kind of have uh, a proper record of historical events. I think that's another really strong use case mm-hmm. for it as well. Now, actually, sorry, uh, just going back to that, you brought a good point because if we look at, and we've been writing about this as well, if we look at post-COVID-19, what are the two main things that people are concerned about? Finance. And I think what you brought up there is revealing that privacy, censorship, um, the truth uh, is very, has come to light, right? People want to know what was really said. Okay, all these applications, governments could potentially have certain powers. How do I know my data is safe or what I'm sharing is private? So I think, I guess those two, (laughs) it's funny, you said the two main things that blockchain kind of promised was financial freedom and privacy and censorship resistance is really the two best use cases still. And they were coming to light. Yeah, hundred percent. Now, what are some of the challenging aspects of operating a company in this space? And what are the key ingredients you see that could be the difference between success and failure? Oh, great question. Well, I was just talking to somebody the other day about, you know, I did that, like I said, work in the video games, did the regular startup, typical startup, Silicon Valley type of thing with my other company, and now we're in crypto. And it is vastly different. And, you know, you look at somebody, it's like, if they're people who are into crypto or in crypto projects, you know, they have a higher threshold of things than other people do. And I mean, I think they would survive very well and do very well in a typical startup environment. So it's, it's different in the sense that you have right away, passionate communities, people are really into this stuff, looking at different things much earlier and keeping their eyes on you than the typical startup. So if we were a a typical startup, you know, you can be in a bunker, make your product, slowly get out there, get some users, and you're just kind of in a silo, right? And But in the crypto space, your users who are most passionate about you might not actually be your end customers, but they're also your loudest voices and biggest critics in the sense of what you're doing, keeping on top of you and almost kind of pushing you as well in good ways. So you have a different community that you're managing and working with who are there to support you, but they also might not in most projects be your end user too. So you're kind of managing two different customer bases, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. So I would say that is probably the biggest challenge uh, that people doing blockchain or crypto projects uh, face each day. That's those are the, those are the things. Yeah. 
Would you say it's been difficult uh, to attract like developers to the project? Because again, I mean, just as it's difficult to kind of get into the mainstream thought process for for the 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 retail market or for the end customer, uh, do you think that on the developer side it's been difficult to attract uh, people uh, since there's you know a million different projects these days? And- it would be for us. What's fortunate is we can be we're a glue that's necessary in all projects. So if whether, no matter what somebody's building, they need a database, right? And it's a matter of us fitting into those use cases and getting it out there. I think the challenge is that we're, we're all really excited about the space and we're all into it. But then when you kind of zoom out, you can see how, how small, we're wondering why isn't everybody more into blockchain and crypto? And when you zoom out, you're like, hey, we're actually pretty small compared to everything else that's going on out there. Right. So uh, the challenge is developers really are going to go to places where, hey, you know, it's just like in any type of adoption cycle, right? They're going to go, where's the most money? Where's people using it? So they're going to be attracted to there. What we're really still focusing on is those early stage developers who are more about more cowboyish. It's just like, it's just like crypto people. They're more cowboyish, more, uh, you know, uh, less risk averse. Yeah. Try on new changes. So that is, if you look at the amount of people who are in crypto compared to all of finance, it's it's, it's really small. So, so tiny. If, if you look at developers, it's same ones that are gravitating towards there. So uh, I think finding them, like the ones that exist there are really good, but growing that base and getting more people, uh, that's been the challenge. But that that's that's in everything. It's going to come yeah. as as people are getting more into crypto. They're seeing all these products out there. It's going to attract more developers. And I think for, uh, so on that level, it's not the typical go out there, find some developers, you know, do some big things. It's a typical sales. We still got to do those hackathons, work with other groups. Is everything that you guys do open source? Yes, it is. Okay. Interesting. So could you talk a little, like I've been asked the question before. Uh, when people are like talking about crypto and they're like, oh, it's all open source. And then some of my friends from the software world are like, oh, well, that's not good. Like that everything's open source. Uh, shouldn't everything be like more closed source? What would be your answer to that? Like why is open source, uh, in your opinion, fundamentally a better and more secure model for software that is shared by almost like the, as a public good, like Bitcoin would be? The big one going to what my... Um CTO Neeraj says is that it allows you to really fo- like certain things that you give to the community and everybody builds on and it's hardened. And then it, like the belief is that, Hey, it's more secure. The code looks good because more people are looking at it. And it's also allowing more innovation to take place. Cause if you have base layer technologies that are out there and open source, then people who build on top of it, can basically just focus on specific areas or new things to add on. So it just makes everything more stronger and resilient. I think when people say that, hey, it should all be closed source, they're looking at the commercial potential. But just because something's open source doesn't mean it doesn't have commercial potential. Because if you look at like Red Hat, you know, they're really Linux-based. They built applications on top of Linux and other solutions. And you can charge for those. So I think that's what it is, is people kind of think that open source is automatically free, which isn't entirely true. And I know uh, Pete's is a big open source guy. He's, what, what do you think about all the open, uh, like open source versus closed source 
debate, Pete? Do you think that it is that like, what are the merits of open source to kind of help people wrap their minds around it? When I first heard about the open source movement, I thought it was stupid. It was like sharing all the secrets with everyone and making yourself vulnerable. But then I realized that's just a theory. In practice, what happens is people come in and fix the problems. So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, just imagine you have a house and you leave all the doors and all the windows wide open. You're leaving yourself vulnerable to burglars and stuff. But what's actually happening is your neighbors are coming over and they're saying, oh, I see that ceiling beam needs to be adjusted. Here, I can help you fix the ceiling. They come in, they fix the porch. They come in, you know, they say, hey, you know, I really enjoy painting. Let me paint a mural on your wall and make it better. And the end product from a huge collaboration of people ends up being much better than a small group that is stuck inside their own echo chamber. The other thing is also bug testing. You've got a dev team of 10 or 50 versus an open source community of 50,000. Which one's going to have the bugs worked out a lot faster? <laughs> so right. once I actually got more involved in the open source community, now I'm a full believer in it. But the best part about open source is everyone does this to volunteer. Everything's released under the GNU license. So no one's actually benefiting off it. What that means is all these open source alternatives are free. Instead of paying $300 a year for Microsoft Office, I can use LibreOffice for free. It does all the exact same stuff. There's uh, Fang Office for project management, like literally everything you can think. Instead of Photoshop, you can use GIMP. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that are just as powerful. There's software that's been being built for 15, 20 years on open source some cases even longer and they're very mature easy to use projects that are, have tons of support if you need to do 3d rendering for a movie no problem there's blender literally everything you could ever need to use in your business environment is available in an open source alternative and also i think add to that is uh price what you're saying is everybody goes i mean this is the world we live in right everything is it's a one or a zero. It's either open source or it's closed. Well, why not a bunch of mix, right? Things are certain good for this, some are not, yeah. right? And it's just like not everything is a versus all the time. The, there's a lot of overlap, right? Awesome. That makes a lot of sense. Um, before we close out with, uh, with a couple of questions that we like to ask everybody, uh, whoever comes on the show, um, I, I'm kind of curious, do you guys have uh, staking as a component? Because I know that it's a popular trend that a lot of coins are using to uh, proof of stake, right? To not only give holders and stakers of that uh, a little bit of a yield on their crypto, but also to help secure the network. So I, I was just going to ask you about that before uh, uh, we ask you about some big upcoming updates with your with your team. Yeah, staking, I mean, that was one of the reasons to also go on to uh, Cosmos Tendermint is because they had staking built into it, especially a delegated proof of stake, meaning that, hey, even if you're not running one of our nodes and you're storing, but you still want to participate in getting some of the earnings and securing the network, you can delegate you know, your holdings to one of the validators out there. So uh, it's a critical part of ours because, hey, if you're providing storage space and you need fast reads and writes, you need to be available, well, you need to stake and be part of that because if you're not part of the network or you're not doing your job, there has to be a penalty. So it's a, it's a real critical piece of our product. 
Fantastic. And one of the questions we like to ask everyone who comes on the podcast here is who's one person you admire in the crypto space that really inspires you to do what you do? I've got to say, you know, in terms of execution and delivery and pushing it really out there, it would be actually a two recent one, one longer term, like, you know, I think CZ from Binance does a, an amazing job in terms of execution and getting out there and putting it and just always delivering with the latest. I think another one is it's guy I know here in Singapore, um, Loy Lu from Kyber. So I've known him for a oh, couple Oh yeah, he's great. I've known him for a few years and I just actually messaged him the other day saying, Hey man, like, you know, when DEXs were, will they work? Won't they work? Um, you know, it was really nascent. Centralized exchanges were taking all the things, but they just kept at it, you know, delivering good product, building it up like their transactions over the past year and a half. And now they're just like rocking it. So uh, I was just kind of messing with like, hey, man, shows that just sticking with it and just executing over and over again and just, you know, not worrying about the central exchanges and volume, but just saying, let's just cater to that audience and just kept growing it from small to picking up. And now the timing's on their side. Totally inspiring. Yeah, no, I couldn't have said it better. We were big fans of Loy and Kyber Network. And like you said, timing is everything. And they just hit it at the perfect inflection point. But I always like to think that it's not luck, right? It's preparedness. Uh, they were, you know, like you said, Loy's, a, you know, they built a great team and a great product. But now that they have that kind of tailwind of a really bullish market, I think that they're just going to get skyrocketed. Totally. And yourself. I mean, the Blue Zell team, right? It's the same situation. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's uh, the, the learnings, you know, for 2019 were, were great, right? Um, when you look back and you connect all the dots, it's like, what was going on? All these, you know, ideas everybody had, where the developers, enterprise adoption, you're trying, and it's like, nothing was there. And then it's like, then you just go, you focus down and said, okay, you know what? Let's fix this thing. Got Cosmos. Let's just continue, like, basically from the new year, we said, let's get back on track and just continue to deliver to the people manage look at the overall picture and know that hey all this stuff is still new you can't expect all these things just to turn around overnight and so we just got into a consistent thing from january onwards just put it out deliver 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 then in april we put out our incentivized test net for a three-month campaign called swarm of duty and really we got good developers building on our stuff uh, so we we're able to put that out there and putting more projects out we we're able to test that out we got over 200 validators joined the network for our competition, which really surpassed what we thought would happen, right? They joined up, got yeah, super involved. They joined up, got super involved. We had some breakdowns of things where, hey, we had to reset the test net. They still kept at it. Uh, did that a couple of times. Even recently, we had discovered a major bug in the newest version of Cosmos Tendermint that we're using, reported to the Cosmos team, worked with them to, uh, to get it resolved. They got that done. And I mean, that's what an incentivized test net is for, is to, to find all these different areas of what's working for the product, what's working for validators, how to onboard them. So to us, it was a massive success and it comes down to it. It's just like focus on the community, know the stage where the world is in terms of blockchain and, uh, you know, just focus on those developers getting what they need and just get into a cycle of just keep releasing, keep giving something out there. So that was, it was really good to have that happen over the last six months. Man, I love that story. 
Absolutely love that story. It just goes to show that persistence always pays. And, you know, we're in this industry that's so freaking new that you guys are inventing things, right? All these blockchain companies are inventing things that sometimes you, you run into a roadblock and you're like, oh, well, I need this, you know, this new thing. And it's not even invented yet, right? So that's what you guys were doing back in, you know, 2017, needing something, needing something. And then finally, uh, the market caught up with all the hype and Cosmos was ready to roll out and build on. And so you're, you know, you needed something that wasn't ready yet and you found it. And I think that's really a testament to why uh, a lot of us are looking at the market and seeing prices really start to tick up. Um, we're, we're, a lot of us traders are thinking that we're at, you know, a really nice inflection point in the market where uh, these tokens are valued. You know, some of them are down 80, 90% relative to their peak in 2017 or, you know, early, early, early 2018. Yet the value of these networks has only grown and grown and grown with time. And the teams have only gotten larger and larger and larger. And the technology and, you know, everything has been so much, you know, imbued with so much more value. Um, and prices are starting to play catch up. So uh, I just love, you know, hearing firsthand from you kind of experiencing all this. It's, it, it just is a motivating, cool, cool story. I think, yeah, I just to wrap that up there because you asked, I think, earlier about successes and failures in the space. I think for us, it was, yeah, you want to focus on that big picture, get enterprises and you're solving these big ones. Then sometimes you just got to take a step back and be like, what can we do in the next three months and just build that momentum <laughs> yeah. and feel really good What can good we about? deliver? Yeah. And then once we did that, it's like, okay, that worked. Okay, what can we do in the next three months or the next month and just get into a good groove of it? And sometimes you just got to do that, right? Cool. So Pavel, real quick, before we let you go, uh, give us a, a quick update on, on the roadmap. What can we expect? Yeah, super exciting stuff. So as I said, our Swarm of Duty incentivized testnet campaign just finished. Now we're starting the March to Mainnet, which will be done through a number of phases. So the key things that we're really excited about doing is one, launching staking. So all our long-term supporters can come in, the validators who have tested the network, they can start actually staking on the network start earning some yield. So that's going to be big. Second is we've got, you know, then that will roll into the full mainnet launch, which allow, you know, come store your data. It's all working. Everything's good. And we also believe decentralized storage is going to really take off now. Like DeFi has done it. Now decentralized uh -huh. storage is the next one because file coins coming out, products like ours are getting to that point where they can be, you know, at mainnet, have everything tested. So that's going to be big because especially if, more developers start building and then it's going to, and you're looking at, you know, potential more customers, maybe regulations or building cooler stuff with the, the DeFi products or other things, they're going to need decentralized storage and not rely on central ones. So that's, that's going to be massive. And then also we've got um, use case or specific product using our database for the DeFi space that we believe is going to solve some problems or, or solve some problems, but actually innovate and superpower some of the DeFi projects out there to make them more robust platforms similar to what we do in the traditional finance world. So those are the three things. And we're going to probably do that over the next uh, two months. Awesome, Pavel. Well, thank you so much for, for giving us plenty of updates here on everything. Uh, that'll do it for us. And we hope to, to keep tabs on all your guys' progress here pretty soon. Thanks, fellas. This was a great chat and uh, love and probably hopefully in like, you know, six months to a year, we'll do it again and give you another big update. Sounds good. Sure will.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.